again, this is the Orient Hour on Phoenix FM. I'm Steve Tung. And also in the studio tonight, the voice of voice. Lee, how are you after um, an away draw and a win on Tuesday night? Yeah, all good, all good. All things coming together, so very happy. Excellent. You may have to be Boise for the next hour because uh, if it doesn't make everyone think of on the buses because um, our special guest is another Lee. A great welcome for the first time to Lee Harrison, who was goalkeeper and uh, later goalkeeping coach at Orient in, well, remind us, Lee, when was all that? Oh, I think 2003 I came here as a player um, and then obviously 2015 for a short stint as a, a goalkeeper coach. Excellent, welcome to you. And Lee is now goalkeeping coach at Southend United, which fits in very well after our Tuesday game against them. One of the two matches we'll be looking back at, of course, uh, the other being the 1-1 draw at Salford last Saturday. And this EFL trophy, only 1,500 people there on Tuesday night. Is there any reason to boycott the competition? Are people just not interested in paying the extra money to see the fringe players? We'll get some views on that. And um, some opinions, as Lee is here on favourite Orient goalkeepers down the years. You can contribute by tweeting at the Orient Hour or about that or anything else uh, relevant that you want to. Keep it clean or it won't get broadcast. And one other topic, our next opponents are Swindon Town. Now, what do we remember of Swindon home or away, on or off the pitch? But let's start with um, those two games since the last programme. A 1-1 draw at Salford, a repeat of last season's opening game. Of course, even to that late own goal that earned us a point. Boise, what did you think? Oh, I mean, I didn't go myself, so I didn't see the game, but watching the highlights and listening to what people have told me, sounded like a good result. Sounded like we could have actually nicked a win. Uh, I think the, the goal at the end, although it would be an own goal, shows how resilient we are, how we keep going, how we don't give up, we just keep fighting till the end. I mean, I said, I think, I think that is, like, the last few weeks, things have got better and better and it's showing. Yeah, it was another of those um, games of the old cliche, a game of two halves, really. We do seem to have quite a lot of those. Um, maybe we'll have a real 90-minute performance soon. But um, for anyone who wasn't there, but sure those, saw those short highlights package, um, you'll have noted that all the action they showed in the first half was Salford attacking. Um, all the action in the second half was us, um, thankfully culminating in that late equaliser. We didn't really achieve much in the first half, conceded a bad goal really. Um, I think you probably noticed even from the, from the short highlights that uh, it was a throw in. Uh, it looked to me as if Lee Angle was passing his man on and he just didn't get picked up and that was that, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I've, like I said before, but defensively we've been a bit naive recently. Uh, it's all... It's hard for them. I mean, like I said, they've moved about, they've changed different formations. There's still a lot to learn, still a lot to uh, improve on. Uh, but like I say, there's still a new, new team, like the forwards, Liango and all that. So it's all coming together. Sure. It was reminiscent of, of the Macclesfield away game, for those who remember that, um, in the first, a poor first half. But unlike that game, we did come on a lot stronger second half and, and I think fully deserved the draw, really. The, um, the Salford manager saw it differently after their fourth successive draw it was for them, um, but managers tend to do that, of course. He mentioned Dean Brill's saves in the first half, um, one of which was that header um, from a, a cracker, really. It was re there was a save last season, was it? Was it Aldershot away? Remember a shot from a, a header in the top corner? That's right, yeah. Dean has been criticised occasionally, hasn't he? What, what do you make of that sort of criticism of him? Uh, I think... Like I've said, like said before, Dean's kept us in games with saves like that. Uh, He's made mistakes as well. He has made mistakes, but you'd expect that at this level of football, to be fair. 
he's, he's shot stopping he's, he's something special and he does pull out a big one at a big moment and Lee Harrison I know you keep a, a close eye on the O's still um, what, what have you made of Dean Brill? I think Dino came into a difficult situation obviously with the club ended up where it was and I think he was seen as a safe pair of hands to go in there um, obviously having worked with Sarge as well I think Sarge is a great keeper and he's, he's one for the future but the situation the club found itself in at the time it probably just needed Dean to be that steady steady Eddie if you like at that time um, the club have now got into the league um, I think Dean will still be seen as the steady choice for the club and and for the manager but now I think it will be a, it'll be a case of right can someone come and take it off of him you, you got a good close-up view of, of Sam Sargent on Tuesday night, of course, and, and you knew him from way back, you were saying. Yeah, and no, I had, uh, when I came in the building, I had Sarge, obviously Charlie Granger, um, the club brought Alex Cisak in as well. Sarge was one of those with, well, with a mentality that, that there's not many have got. He would, as I said to you before the show, he'd train on the car park if that's what we needed to do. Um, what he's done though now is he looks like he's tidied his game up as well. So not just the resilience and the work ethic he looks like he's he's he put in a very tidy performance the other night kicking was good hands were good and he made a couple of decent saves as well mm. and you saw the orient goal at, at salford the salford goalkeeper basically lying on the floor almost kicked it into his own net and um, was taunted unmercifully by orient supporters behind that goal afterwards but as we know when a goalkeeper makes a blunder like that it does tend to be costly doesn't it what, what do you say to a goalkeeper after the game when something like that's happened i think people do try and come up to you and go don't worry about it but i'm not sure where the don't worry <laughs> don't worry comes in um it's part of the job you have to get used to it you're going to concede goals whether you're a 19 year old or whether you're a 35 year old it's going to happen even the best of them it's happened to them. the best ones get over it quickly and it worked out for us anyway. The, um, I thought the formations at, at Salford were quite interesting. It seems that Ross is happy with four at the back now, um, having had that long spell last season, the start of this season with three there. Um, what surprised me a bit at the start was a, a front three, which was basically Louis Dennis, Connor Wilkinson through the middle, and then Lee Angle down the left wider, which was the bit I thought that, that didn't work. Lee was a bit isolated. I think he's the kind of player who gets a bit frustrated as well, do you feel, as well? Things that when he's not seeing enough of the ball and just not getting involved. And... I mean, I think from what I've been told or what I've read about his career, he's, he, he does get frustrated uh, easily, sort of thing. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, they, they played that same formation, was it the week before? And uh, Crawley, wasn't it, the week before? Yeah. And I thought for the first 20 minutes, I thought it was sort of one of the best attacking like first opening 20 minutes I've seen for a long, long while. And it was yep. working, working really well. And he had a good couple of chances that didn't go in at that time. Uh, so I think if he's not going well, he's, he's, he's got to learn to keep his nut down and keep going sort of thing. Yep. Well, the second half we changed um, to a sort of standard 4-4-2 at first with, with Dennis and Brophy out wide, um, where I do personally love to see James Brophy. That's a bit of a hobby horse. But um, before long, of course, Josh Coulson had to go off injured. Uh, and so Dan Happy, who'd been at left back, went into the middle. And instead of bringing Miles Judd on at full back, um, we introduced Jordan Maguire-Drew and put Brophy at left back. Uh, and fair play, it was positive. Um, we continued to have much more of the ball. Uh, and of course, James, when he got forward, created that, that rather bizarre equalising goal and, and Matt Harold had also come on for Dennis in fact so I, I was thinking Angle, Wilkinson and Harold probably the tallest front three in Orient, Orient history wouldn't it be? 
Um, anyway, it worked, ironically. Uh, in fact, the equalising goal, not from a, a long ball or a high centre or anything, or a long throw, but that low cross from the left. So, um, a decent point, six games in. We've got two wins, two draws, two losses, of which that one at home to Crawley, we felt, was, was very much avoidable. Um, Boise, what do you feel about the first six games overall? I'm happy. I'm very happy. Uh, like I said before, to come into the, back into the league, under the circumstances we had in, in close season, and to start off like that, I and mean, you can see, like, like I say, two, two wins, two draws, two losses, apart from the Macclesfield game, they've all been, we all could have got something out of all of them games, wins, draws, so I'm, yeah, I'm delighted, I'm, I'm delighted for Ross and Danny, and the way it's settling down, the players are all gelling, I think, yeah, I'm pleased with that. And after the game, the 650-odd um, Orient supporters leaving at the, the away exit were surprised, I think, to be confronted by what seemed to be about three or four young, very young supporters, um, quite deliberately waiting there in what seemed a very confrontational mood. Um, could say quite brave, I suppose, as they were outnumbered about 150 to one. Um, a few punches were exchanged, and, and later, as people may have seen on social media, a few traffic cones were exchanged as well. Um, did you see that footage? Did you hear anything about what had actually occurred? Well, as I said, I wasn't there, so I did hear, I did see, obviously see the footage. I think the whole, whole country's seen the footage of the traffic cones flying. I, I no knowledge of any punches being thrown, but uh, yeah, like I said, I think, I think some of these kids, like we've had it the last couple of years going away where you get these kids sort of like come out. I think they've watched too many films, too many uh, football films and uh, don't live in the real world and they come out and it, it, things go a bit wrong. But yeah, I'm sure there's much to do about nothing really. I think it probably was. Compared to the 1980s, pretty, pretty tame stuff, were yeah? I'm too young for that. <laughs> And so, on to Tuesday, and our first game this season in what we're now probably supposed to call the Leasing.com Trophy. 2-0 um, win over Southend, who were playing for, uh, with 10 men for the whole of the second half. Um, Lee Harrison, what was the Southend view of the game? Um, disappointing, obviously, because I, I think first half, we gave all the initiative. Um, and they took it. It took the early goal uh, from a very good cross, I have to say, and a good header. Um, after that, the game settled a little bit, probably for 20 minutes. There wasn't a lot in it. Um, and then obviously the sending off, um, which probably helped us, I would say, bizarrely, then it helped Orion because I think most sides, I know what happens at half-time, you go in there. We now have nothing to lose in the game because we're expected to go on and lose the game. And Orion fans are sitting there thinking, right, they've got 10 men, um, where's the three, four and five are gonna come? And it becomes a, an edgy game. Uh, and we're just hoping we get two or three chances and we take one, um, which we did and we didn't. Um, and we knew that Orient would get a couple of chances and you just hope that when that happens, they don't take them. Um, I'll leave that one with Lee <laughs> to, uh, to describe what may or may not have happened uh, yeah. taking theirs. But obviously disappointing. Uh, the last goal uh, it finishes the game, but I think we haven't took our chances when we've had them to take it to the draw. Uh, it's a disappointing for us overall. How, how strong a South End team was it compared to your regular uh, league? Listen, I think any side that, that we, a league one side puts out should should be strong. You know, all right, we had a couple of younger players in there, but then so did Orient. So that wasn't the reason. That's what that competition is has been mm, used for yeah. over the time until it gets to the semi final, quarter final, maybe, and then teams generally take it more seriously. Um, so yeah, I don't think there's an excuse that we had a few younger players like 
I knew a lot of the Orient players, yeah. the youth team players, when I was there, and and I think through trauma, and I, I'm a I'm a big believer in this through bad times. Some of those young players grow, and the Miles Judds, the Dan Happies who uh, have come through all that, have become strong players for Orient. Yeah, good point. Um, Boise, Ross called it a nice night of opportunities. Um, how do you think it went, and and who took their opportunity? I was I was pleased. I was pleased with the performances. I mean, obviously the standout performer for us was was Shadrick Oggy. I always forget his name when I'm trying to say it. But yeah, Shadrick Oggy. And uh, yeah, I mean, he was. I thought he was phenomenal. I thought he was absolutely. I mean, when, when you look at he was playing with alongside Abby and uh, and Marvin, who are both young young defenders herself. I thought I thought it was a very uh, very exciting back back three or back four we had there with uh, Miles and then Sam Ling sort of thing. Uh, yeah, Gorman coming, done well. Young George Marsh, was a bit of a bit of a terrier around the around the middle one. Mm. He sort of chasing everything down, and uh, I mean, I felt uh, I've been critical of Harold before. I have been critical of Harold, but I felt sorry for him today, uh, Tuesday. I did feel sorry for him. It seems like every time he gets to start a game, he, him and Allaby start together, and. Uh, uh, and uh, again, I've been a uh, complimentary of Allaby and, and give Allaby a lot of support. But I think, I wonder if Harold's sort of sitting there thinking to himself, right, every time I get a chance to start and get a chance to claim, I'm alongside Allaby and nothing ever works. I mean, bless him. He's like, he's a legend, Allaby now, isn't he? But for not the right reasons, not the right footballing reasons, is he? I mean, like I said, I put it on Twitter the other day. I think one of the South End fans put it on their account. He's been their best defender this season, like, not with that header off the line. Uh, I just don't know. How do you describe that? It was just phenomenal. It was like, I said, you, you couldn't try that. You couldn't do that if you tried, sort of thing. It's just, but everyone loves it. Everyone's laughing because he cleared, we're one nil up. South End are getting back into the game. He clears it off the line when it's easier. All he's got to do is hit him, surely, and goes in. Yeah, everyone around me is all laughing because he's Allaby. Everyone loves him. Like, in that case. Well, that, it was, that was the second extraordinary incident he was involved in, wasn't it? Because in the first half, there was the occasion when he, he just got his head onto it. There was a wayward back pass, wasn't there? And he just got his head onto it, not quite strong enough, enough power to get the ball over the line. And the South End defender um, lashed it against his own post. I mean, Lee, that would have that would have been one of the hardest struck own goals of all time, wouldn't yeah, it? If that had gone it's in. amazing. <laughs> your, your thoughts on the bench are you, you, you're disappointed because the header back from us was poor, um, and it gives him a chance to score. Then he heads it, and you think, right, he's going to score. And then our defenders get in there six yards from the goal. And you think, okay, thank goodness for that. We're going to we're going to get out of trouble here. And then he he lashed it. At the top corner, yeah. but the best bit is he kept it in play. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, don't give corners and throw away. It's the right there, but no. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it would have been. Uh, well, obviously, the miss that one. Yeah. There would have been. Twitter would have been going wild over yeah. us. Yeah, and for those who who weren't there or haven't seen the highlights, um, Matt Harold, as as uh, Boise said, headed a, a, what's actually a very good free kick from from Dale Gorman at the post, and and. James Larby almost sitting down, wasn't he? Managed managed to head it up against the bar from from about six inches out. Um, I, don't, I don't know about you. It's always struck me that some fans quite like having a player who they can kind of moan about. Um, I mean, they used to be called boo boys sometimes. I've never heard anyone booing him, which is good. We don't want that. But as you say, he's he's become a bit of a cult figure, hasn't he? He's, and he's obviously 
uh, from what we hear. He's a, he's a great lad around the dressing room, around the training ground. He's passionate. We know that. He relates to the fans and, and maybe that's why they relate to him. But I, I wonder if we're probably getting to the stage where, certainly in terms of starting games and maybe in, in terms of subs, since we're now allowed what, seven subs a game, that, that uh, we're not sure how many more chances he will actually get. I, I could, yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't like to, to berate players too much, but I mean, these days probably are numbered. Like, I mean, he was on the transfer list. I was glad to see him come off because I thought he deserved, he's got his final season of his contract. I thought he deserved to be part of it. Uh, but realistically, I mean, like, like, same, like Lee was just saying, with the first chance, he's gone through, he's through one-on-one with a keeper. He's looked at the keeper and he's, he's, he didn't know what to do. And he basically, he's just nodded it. Like, I mean, there was so much he could have done, but and what he did do was probably the one thing he shouldn't have done. And uh, again, with the, the second chance, so there's, there's two reasonable chances he's had uh, in the game, in a game that he's playing to, to, to sort of build his confidence up. And yeah, I mean, like I said, he's, he's, been a, he's a character. He's a character. He's been great for the squad. We all love him, but like I say, for, for the wrong reasons. Uh, but yeah, his days are, in my opinion, numbered. Right. Well, George Marsh, as I, I as you said, uh, looked quite sharp. It was good to to get a, a look at him and in, and a full ninety minutes. Um, Shadrach Ogi was actually named man of the match, and so plenty of pluses to come out of it. Um, Dale Gorman was involved in the goal. That lovely ball he played out to uh, to Jordan Maguire drew and, and a good cross for the first one, and then even the second goal, uh, which Alabi will claim an assist from, no doubt. I mean, he, but Lee Angle did very well, didn't he, to um, to get away and, and find Alabi, who, who set that one up for a, a very fine finish from from Dale Gorman. So that was the actual match and, and positives to come out of it for the O's. Um, but what about the occasion? Only 1,500 people there, about 300 plus from South End. So they, they brought about one fifth of, of the gate. A lot of those supporters have actually talked about boycotting the competition, mainly because they don't like this idea of, of Premier League under-21 teams playing in it. Uh, they don't all play in it. I, I think they can make up their own mind whether they complete or not, but most of them have. Um, most people know we've got Brighton in our group, as well as um, AFC Wimbledon and, and, and Southend. Uh, we got some views from Orient fans who responded to us on social media about it. Um, Mark Bailey, who's an O's fan in Australia, in fact, says, I understand the stance against the EFL, but taking money away from our club by not taking up to home games in the Cup doesn't make much financial sense. I know I may cop some stick for this, but bums on seats helps the club more than the EFL. Um, Lowell Ross uh, wrote, I'm genuinely boycotting that awful competition, even if we end up in the final. Having clubs like us playing against other clubs under 21 sides is embarrassing. Worse, it strengthens the case for having B teams in the lower leagues, which would devalue the whole structure. Um, that's a reference, of course, to the fact that in, in uh, countries like Spain, uh, they do, uh, teams like Real Madrid do field a B team quite high up in, in the, the other divisions, and that's something which I know a vast majority of supporters in the, in the lower divisions are not keen on at all. Um, and one other comment from uh, Red Glenn, and it was ironic or not, he said, surely us supporters of lower league clubs are excited to see those TV stars in the making coming to our ground. Um, Lee, what's been the, the view from Southend about the, the competition? You'll be playing Brighton's under-21s like us, and I think you played Southampton last year, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, we played Southampton and we won quite comfortably. I think, um, I, I can't give you Southend's view on it, I'll give you my view on it. Um, I think, obviously, the competition 
is more valuable to teams once you get down to the last eight. Um, for me, you tend to find most of the best under 21s or under 23s players are actually playing in the competition, but for the teams yeah. that are in yeah. it. Mm. So we've got a lad from Manchester United and our Orient have got players there. So mm. those players have already been cherry-picked by the other clubs as the better ones to come and play for the, our clubs. Um, I, I think it was a, a, a better competition when it was a straight knockout for one round. Three games now is just in a hectic schedule. I know Orient would have had that last year in the National League, but you probably just walked straight into it again now with Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. And I know we can do it, but we've now got three games to fit in before we even get to the last 32 yeah. of the competition. Um, for me, I preferred it actually years ago when we played it and we, we brought the top eight conference clubs in to come and play in the Scott, competition because yeah. there's a closer link for me. Yeah. Yep. And if you look at the size of some of those clubs in the National League, the top eight are all professional now. Mm. I think there's a better case for that being the one. Um, but I know the Premier League put the money in and there's win money and stuff like that. But, you know, look, let's get it right. If Chelsea or Man City really wanted to win the competition, they could go put a, a side out they haven't put on loan and win it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not sure what that does, you know, proves that they've got more money than everyone else you know I think Orient versus South End not in a group game in a straight knockout you might have got a bigger crowd than yeah of course than people going well what's a one or draw in this you know that's just my view I think it could be done a lot better and I don't know if you noticed, the under-21 teams didn't actually do very well either. Uh, this week in particular, Brighton were actually one of the very few won. They they won their group match against Wimbledon. It was, it was a strange one last night, which finished uh, Newport 4, West Ham 5, West Ham's under-21 team. And in fact, last season, Manchester City, you mentioned, were, were the only ones who got to the last eight, and they lost there. Um, so it was it was all league clubs from then on. And, th and then, of course, when, when Portsmouth... Uh, met Sunderland in the final at Wembley. The attendance was seventy-something thousand. Eighty-five. Yeah. I mean, that was probably the final that everyone yeah. that they would have wanted mm. in it. Let's yeah. if you get it right. Of all the, that's been a, an anomaly of a final as against uh, all the others. You know, like yeah. I said, when you get to the last four, we'll all be interested in it. Mm. We will. Everyone likes a trip to Wembley, even though you know, for for most teams, <laughs> they're, they're getting more <laughs> common <laughs> these days. <laughs> Um, and we're at home to Brighton anyway, so it'll be interesting to see whether there's a bigger crowd for that or not on November the 5th. Not sure how many fireworks there'll be that night. Um, so that was the um, that was the game. Uh, Boise, what do you think about supporters actually boycotting games ever or on a point of principle like that? Uh, I know I get it, I've got it to start with. Like I think it's, it's, it's fourth year now. This is the, the under-21 teams have been in it. I did get it to start with, but... I think you move with the times. They're not going away. I think the, the idea was at the start was was it was a trial, one year trial. Uh, then ho everyone was hoping that they wouldn't get coming. I mean, I mean there were some ridiculous crowds in the first year, like two, three hundred going to games. But the money's gone in. They're going to be around. I think you, you move with the times, sort of thing. Like like what Lee said, and, uh, and I read on Twitter. Someone else said it. A lot of the lot of the top under twenty one players are playing in the league, the two bottom leagues anyway. So. They're playing against like the, the the Premiership teams like in that tournament. So where's there's a bit of an argument there. Like we don't want the under 21s uh, teams coming in, but we're quite happy for the individual players to come down, which obviously benefits each individual club them being there. Uh, traditionally, like I said, the, the, we've never had big crowds. No one's had big crowds in competitions. I mean, I remember going back many years ago and we struggled to make a thousand. I was 
I thought it was a great, great crowd the other day, really. I know, like, like what Lee said, if that was a straight knockout, probably it'd been a lot more, but... But, uh I thought 1,500 for, for that return, return of that game, I thought was a good turnout. Uh, and people who didn't go, who don't go because they don't want to see so-called reserve players or squad players playing, missed, missed some great performances from, from our youngsters because they were, like I said, Oji and Appy and Marv turned in decent performance. Yeah, I think those of us who, who paid our money, the extra uh, few bob, um, thought it was worthwhile in there. May, I mean, maybe a, an answer also is for season ticket holders is to, which they have done in the past, haven't they? You get a voucher or two for the odd cup game, which, which you could use for games like that. But before moving on from the South End game, we should also mention one, one incident after the game. Uh, sounds a rather unfortunate incident involving one of the South End players. Um, Lee, you might be the best person to tell us what, what exactly you'd heard from your player yeah, or, or really what occurred. Fun. Obviously, I, I only knew about this as I was getting onto the coach. Um, obviously, you just hear things, so I don't know the extent and the exact. Um, I know Andre Blackman had come over to the crowd to see his mum. Um, I think something was said. Um, I don't want to say it was racist or anything like because I don't know. Um, all I know is that they spoke to Andre after the game. I think his mum was rather upset and looked like she was dealing with it rather <laughs> than the police. Um, but, yeah, I mean. There's lots of things said, and um, we know we were talking before the show. Like I, I think racism has improved no end um, in this country, and I know once is too too much, you know. Uh, and, and hopefully this was an isolated incident. Hopefully it wasn't, um, and hopefully it all just gets cleared up. But you know, uh, from my point of view, it's unsavoury and. Uh, you know, I know the club will deal with it and obviously we'll deal with it at our end. Sure. Well, they have in fact put out a statement tonight. Nigel Travis has, has put out a statement uh, saying uh, very strongly that anyone guilty of such conduct will be banned for life from Leighton Orient. Um, the trouble, as, as we said, is that, you know, it only takes one person to make one silly comment. But um, uh, it's quite clear that Orient as a, as a club have been uh, very firmly anti-racist down the years. And, and uh, Nigel Travis is suggesting they'll take very strong action if, if anything is found to have occurred. So that was um, Salford and uh, Southend. We're almost at half time. But we don't go away for 15 minutes, we keep going and we'll look at Swindon Town next. Um, let's do some Swindon memories before we consider Saturday's games. They're, they're, they're one of the teams we've actually played most from uh, early days until about the 1990s when they, they stayed a division or two above us. 81 meetings so far and um, uh, our club's positive record, just 29 wins to 27 defeats which is really because of a very good recent record. The last 10 games, we've actually only lost one of them. That was at home in October 2014 by two goals to one. Um, the year before that, 13-14, we actually did the double over them. Uh, we asked for any of your memories that you might have. Our good friend Jamie Stripe, who often sits in this studio, recalled the FA Cup replay of 1991 when, as he said, the game was abandoned five minutes into the second half with no refunds. Uh, not that I'm holding a grudge or anything like that against the shysters. Um, I believe, it, boys, did you remember? It was a 1-1 draw at that stage. In fact, Kevin Dickinson, who we, who we had in the studio recently, scored the goal, I think. And then we lost 1-0 when it was played a week later, which was annoying. Yeah, that's, I was going to... Like, that's one of the memories I had. Like, I said, fact, Kevin Dickinson scored. It's always... Uh, <laughs> you don't forget him games many, do you? But, 
Yeah, I, I wasn't there that day, but uh, yeah, I remember. I remember the anger afterwards, the, uh, the fact it was called off at the time it was called off. Remarkable how often that happens all over the world. Um, and Alan Chandler, good old long-standing Orient supporter, goes back as far as December 1973. This was the season when we should have gone up to the top division. Um, he says, we were playing at the county ground, we were leading 2-1. Barry Fairbrother won a last-minute corner, but inexplicably the ref gave Swindon a goal kick they went straight upfield and Jacko, the great John Jackson, of course, who was injured earlier, dived over a shot, so it finished 2-2. And as he says, had we played out time, there might have been no need to beat Aston Villa in that famous last game of the season and our fate might have been entirely different. Um, you, you've got no other great memories of Swindon. The thing I always remember about it is the number of roundabouts. There must be more roundabouts in Swindon than any other town in the country apart from Milton Keynes, most of which seem to be very close to the football ground. But I'll, I'll give you one, um, and I'm going to go way back in time, as I tend to do, with this rather odd story. The original film about the great train robbery of 1963 came out four years later, 1967, with Stanley Baker in the starring role. And as part of the plot, I'm pretty certain it wasn't part of the actual historical event, but it was part of the film and the book on which it was based, the robbers, when they're planning it all, they decided they needed somewhere quiet to talk, but somewhere public to talk things over. So where did they choose? Obviously, they chose to go to an Orient game, stand behind the goal, and make their plans. I assume they thought it was either be so noisy that no one would hear them, or it would be so empty that they'd have all the room they wanted. So if you watch the film, it's about a quarter of an hour in from memory, just under, or you can, you can actually Google this clip on YouTube, it's worth doing. And you'll see, first of all, the crowd coming through the turnstiles at Brisbane Road. You can hear the West Side chanting, and the villains take up their position on the North Terrace, the, the Windsor Road end, no, um, no roof or anything, obviously, in, in those days. And they discuss how their plans are going, whether they're going to need to carry guns or not. They decide on no shooters. Um, and in between this, there are clips of the game, which was actually played on the 1st of April, 1967 although this is absolutely not an April Fool's story. Um, it was the game between Orient and Swindon Town. And uh, the O's, if you watch it, don't get confused. The O's are the team in blue, because that was our last season playing in blue. So Swindon are in red. It's, um, it's a typical 1960s Brisbane Road pitch. It looks just like a beach. But what's great is that there's one huge controversy in the game. Um, a very good, this is all filmed from behind the goal, so it's not crystal clear. But um, I, I do remember it well, even from the time. There's a very good left-wing cross. Brian Whitehouse, I think it was, hits the bar and the ball bounces down. And unlike Wembley a few months earlier in July 66, there's no Russian linesman with X-ray eyesight to say the ball was definitely over the line. So the decision is no goal and, and the match finishes nil-nil. And the villains and the crowd are about 7,000 dispersed. Um, but it was a useful point because we were being described at that time as relegation-threatened Orient, um, in danger of going down to the fourth division for the first time ever. Uh, and we ended up in the heights of 14th place. So that was Orient and Swindon in, in 1967. So, Boise, what about this Saturday? Uh, Swindon are in fifth place, won three and drawn two of their sixth. They're unbeaten in their away games. Um, and they beat Morecambe 3-1 at the county ground last weekend. What are we expecting? Well, it's going to be a tough game. It's probably going to be our toughest game we've had so far. Uh, like I said, Swindon have started well. They're, you know you know what you're going to get with Swindon. They're a good good club, good, well-run club, good team. Uh, 
like I said, I'm forever the optimist. Oh, I think we're going to win every game, you know what I mean? So, uh, uh, it'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to see, like, the formation that, that Ross puts out, uh, the players in, the, in that formation. I think we know what formations will be. The players he puts out in that formation and to see how well they are gelling. Because, like I say, I think this will be the hardest task we've had. But I'm confident. I'm, I'm always confident. I'm confident we're going to get sank. It sounded as though Josh Coulson ought to be fit. Um, Owen Doyle is their top scorer. Five five in four games, I think. He's, he's a big Irish striker. He's on loan from Bradford City. He's been around a long time, over over 100 league games. Uh, goals, so he'll need a bit of watching. Joe Widdison may or may not be fit. So I wonder maybe happy at left back again, which would prevent the need to decide between him and Marvin for the starting place. But as we've discussed before, that's going to be a decision which Ross is going to have to make eventually, isn't it? Well, I mean, I think everyone knows my opinion on that. Like, I mean, happy starts at the left side of centre off. Uh, like I said, I've said it a hundred times, the balance and everything, that the way Happy's composure is, uh, who plays alongside him, in my opinion. I mean, Josh is going to come back, probably. Playing, moving Happy to left-back does, doesn't work. Like, he's, he's a centre-off. Like, and uh, if Widdison ain't fit, I'll say Hodgie certainly staked his claim on, a, on, on Tuesday night. Uh, yeah, like I said, for me, Happy starts and... I was, like the other night, I was, I was very pleased with the way the two centre-halves gelled together. I mean, I thought Marv started off a bit shaky. I thought Happy was superb to start with. Uh, he, he was talking to Marv, he was marshalling the back line, he was, he was winning two feet, he's using both feet to play the ball out. My only disappointment was with the two of them was I thought the last 20 minutes they lost concentration a little bit, uh, which obviously they can't, can't be doing, especially against teams like Swindon in our league. Uh, yeah, I don't know, I don't know, but I'll say for me, Happy doesn't play anywhere except centre-half. Fair enough. And Lee, you've got uh, Saturday off, I think. So so many internationals at South End, you, you don't yeah, get a League One game. It's filtering its way down the leagues <laughs> now that everyone's going to be off yeah. soon. Um, yeah, we've got, obviously, Australian captain Mark Milligan. Um, he's away and uh, we've got a 17-year-old Charlie Kelman who's scored goals a season last year. Mm. Uh, he's gone with the USA. But Portsmouth have got three as well, so... So this is a first for me, a Saturday off. I don't, don't like it, actually. What's he going to do? I'm not good at watching soccer Saturday and things like that. I prefer to be a Saturday afternoon where everyone should be. Well, take us yeah. back to your time at Brisbane Road. First of all, you're saying as a supporter, even before you were goalkeeper. Well, quite, yeah, I, 11 years old, I was I signed as a schoolboy. Um, Pat Holland was a youth team coach at the time. And uh, Jimmy Hallibone, for those that will remember years ago, sort of, helped out with the youth team and drove the minibus around and yeah so as a schoolboy every Saturday afternoon Orient were home me and my dad used to come up and uh, we'd watch an Orient game um, and I had interest because Steve and John went to the school that I went to and obviously he was playing at the time um, and I loved it I loved it sitting in the stand and watching the games and God, Kevin Hales Peter Wells um, I can remember them all the Hummel kit I couldn't it, you know it's, it was great as I said to and in my holidays, I'd come in and, and train with the first team at, at 15, 16 years old. So it was a great upbringing for me at the time. And, you know, following the Orient from then was, was, was great for me. So when you got the chance to come back there, what, from Barnet? Were, yeah, was I was, a... I was a, actually at Peterborough alone in League One and they wanted to sign me and I had to go back to Barnet for a few weeks in the season. But I think Orient were quite 
low down in League Two at the time, mm. um, and really struggling. And I came in on loan, um, and we steadied it and and, and got safe. Um, and it was always sort of meant to be, really. Um, I always say I came here too late in my career. Um, I know I used to train here with um, uh, the keep was there, Ashley Bays. So we'd never had a goalkeeper coach at, at, at Barney at the time. So my Tuesday and Thursdays was actually coming over and training with Orion. All oh, right. Um, and they, he, you know, the manager at the time at Orion kept saying, oh, "What's your contract situation?" Yeah. And I think I don't think I had uh, I had a really good time at Orion when I came here. I don't think I had my best years. I had a really good time at Barney, and as a player, I was. I thought that was the top of my game. Because you've been there quite a long time. I've been there a long while, 13 years, and, you know, coming to Orient was the back end of my career. And I did a good job. I felt I did a good job, but I don't think Orient had my best years as a player. And under Martin Ling, was it? At no, that time? Paul Brush bought me first of all, and then oh, under right. Martin Ling. Uh, and, and to be fair, we were steady. We were steady. We were up near the top one season. Yeah. And just fell away at the end. And I think Martin was, was fair with me. He wanted to go a different way, and we never disagreed over anything. Um, a contract run out and, and he wanted to take the whole squad a different way and he, he was supposed to be said you know along the lines did I want to be part of it and I said well what do you want to do we were really amicable about it so I joined Peter Britt at the end of that but it was something I really really wanted to do and I really enjoyed doing you know because it's a club that means a lot to me obviously at Barnet as well as I played a lot but this was one as an 11 year old you know and, and coming back again was special was really special was it Glenn, Glenn Morris would have been your rival really Glenn, for the Glenn, great lad Glenn really really good he, as a young keeper got in the side and it, okay. it's great to see him now because I'm never sure Glenn really had the belief that he could be a number yeah. one if I, and, and I would say this to Glenn now because he was, he was so nice mm. he was such a nice lad um, it's almost taken him 10 years to go actually I can do this um, and it's nice to see him have that, that career now and put so many games and I think he went to Crawley as a goalkeeper coach and it's funny that, that happens that mm. people go as goalkeeper coaches and end up playing. Wasn't so it South End that he, he finally made to, it as his... Yeah, like, he got in at South End and yeah. then ended up as a number two. And it, you know, great, great kid. Um, I never really classed him as a rival because I was a senior player and I, my mentality was always, yeah, I wanted to play, but I wanted to help the people around me as well. I think I had that coaching sort of side. If someone was going to take my place... I was happy as long as they worked for it. So yeah, yeah Glenn was a good kid. And some of us get a bit sentimental about Orient and, and sort of the values and what it stands for, but are they in some way a little bit different from, from some other clubs, do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, this is, Orient I think was always everyone's second club, you know, and the, the kit was so unique. I mean, one of the biggest games for me, I could say this now, I loved going to South End as an Orient player. I really <laughs> did. It was local for me. I just loved it. And I think I've played there five times as an away player and won four. Right. Um, and the first one I lost was a 1 0 game at Orient. And then I won 2 1 with the own one own goal. Um, we, I think South End scored quite a few own goals that year. Um, and then we won 1 0 when they were going for promotion. Um, but we wore the braces. I think oh, that was, the, oh, old, yeah. that was the ultimate for me. <laughs> because for me, that that kit is orange. Yeah. You know, if ever you could say, what's the one kit you should be wearing, it's the braces. 
We like the all red, but the braces is the yeah, of course. It's yeah, so unique. Absolutely. You'd have a few who'd agree with you about that. So unique. And were you always determined, certainly in the later stages, to go into coaching then? I think it just happened naturally. I was really lucky at Charlton when I was a player that I had Alan Kirby and Steve Grip. And in those days, as a youth team player, you did your, oh God, what was it called now? The, the, the prelim, I think. And then gradually they dragged me along. I ended up doing my full badge at 21 years old. Uh, and that kind of gave me that mindset. I was always a player that really wanted to help young players. Um, always a team player. Um, so I think it was just something that was always going to be natural to me. And, and not just coaching goalkeepers, actual outfield oh, yeah, coaching I've as well? I've done sort of a few roles. I've been an assistant manager. Uh, because those days it wasn't a goalkeeper coaching badge. You had to do everything like everyone else. And, so a natural affinity for, for everything. Um, I quite like getting involved with it if, if the person who ever comes in wants to do that. And, and you even ended up caretaker manager briefly, didn't you? I Newport? did at Newport County, yeah, not many people know that. I did, <laughs> I did end up doing that for a, and, and obviously a, a very famous manager yeah. came and took my place, which obviously was yeah. one of the nicest afternoons I've, I've had because obviously I've come back from Wales and the first thing that Justin did was give me a phone call um, and I had no worries I was my time was done there and I was ready to, to leave I was quite happy to come home but he came round to my house in Rayleigh and we sat there one afternoon and he just asked me the what's why's and wherefores of what was going on there and, and we sat and chatted for a long while and it was a lovely conversation um, and I said like I've, I've met him so many times over here lovely 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 fellow you know it's such a sad a sad thing to, to happen in the summer you know with everything else that had gone on at all in over mm. time and just when you think the club's got to where it should be they just have one more thing to deal with and and I have to say they've done it they've dealt with it brilliantly in a, in a really you know a sad situation yes that's nice and and then you ended back at the O's as a coach, how did that come about? I did, I was at uh, West Ham with uh, someone who was in this room <laughs> as well, yeah, I was there as kind of first team stroke 23's goalkeeper coach, uh, Martin Margerson was the goalkeeper coach there, but he was off with Wales most of the time, so my jobs flipped between the two. Um, I enjoyed sort of 14 months there. Ian Hendon got the Orient job and asked me to come and I had no qualms about it, it was a club that I liked. Um, obviously, Spoke to Kevin Dearden for a long, long while on the phone, who filled me in. And when I say a long, long while, a long, long while, um, with the what's wherefores. But I just felt it was something I had to do um, to come back to the club uh, and and have a go at trying to get it where it was. And you know, sadly, it didn't it didn't end right for. Well, we, we need another show really for that <laughs> one. Um, but the, the Orient fans were amazing. Uh, you know the way they figured it all out what was unravelling I know Ian found it really difficult um, you know and I know the fans found it difficult with Ian because Ian had to deal with it a, a lot you know the, the first day we walked in Joey McEnough was sent to train behind the trees with a few youth team players what, what Ian, was all that about? Uh, I think because after two games or how many performances the, the Italians had decided that um, he hadn't tried hard enough and so his punishment was to go train down there and Ian fought for six months day in day out and argue with with Bichetti to have Joby back back with us and I know he went out on a limb to do that so if there's one you know thing that Ian did you know he did fight 
to get Joby back and nothing. He was a, a super lad. Who, who, do you know what? In, in all that going on, he didn't. He, he wasn't one out of trouble for us. And I'm, I, I was really pleased to see him there the other night. Probably a future manager, isn't he? I think so. Yeah, I think so. He was just great in my time there. You know, under under every person that every person that came in there as manager. The irony with that was as soon as uh, Ian went. Was it Nolan took over from there and uh, Joby was back in the squad though, wasn't he? Yeah. He called yeah. him straight back in the squad. Yeah, he called him straight back in the squad, yeah. And, and as I said, the whole thing became uh, just an incredible going on. Uh, they brought Kevin in because they wanted him to be a player. Mm. But Kevin came in thinking, I'm going to be a manager. And that's where that one started falling apart because he, you know, he's, he'd seen his career and thought his career was done. Yeah. And I'm going to be a, a Labour thinking, you know, and so there was running battles and Friday nights him having to explain why he wasn't playing or he didn't want to play and all sorts going on again. There was a bad uh, bad defeat at Barnet, wasn't there, when you went back to your old club? Yeah, and I know Kevin had a, an argument because he didn't want to play in that game. Um, he wanted to play Lloyd James and they, uh, the Italians decided they just didn't want Lloyd James playing. So anyone that played Lloyd James was going to be close to getting, <laughs> getting kicked out of the club quickly. And, um, and were the, were the fight, was the financial side of it all falling apart? Was it evident no, to you at that stage that it was that bad or not? No, no, the financial side was just absolutely misguided. It was going in places that it should never have been going. Um, you know, they'd, they'd spend it on themselves, on lavish things that were going on at the training ground and stuff like that. So, uh, obviously, people here, that certain salaries were paid and they're probably not the truth but near the truth you know it's enough to know what was going on but it wasn't that that was destroying the club it was it was the fact that it was a control it was the whole control over everything the fridays of coming in the team would be up on a board and they decide that certain people weren't allowed to play he's not playing he's not playing he's not playing and you're like right so you either go with it or you go against it but then you're out on the limb and it becomes a you know a war zone and they're following you around all the time so yeah, it, it culminated in a day that wasn't for me. <laughs> How long did you last? I lasted till the April. Um, I had a meeting. I remember Kevin Nolan had been, it was a Monday, and Andy Hessenthaler had been told to get ready to take the team, but not to say anything to Kevin Nolan. And, and Andy Hessenthaler wasn't having that at all. He, you know, he phoned Kevin and said, look, I think you need to get your backside in here and, and we'll sort out what's going on. And it came on, a, I think it was on a Tuesday or Wednesday then, um, Vito and uh, Alessandra are at the training ground and I was told then my role would be I could be the goalkeeper coach from Monday to Friday but I wasn't to be the goalkeeper coach on Saturdays because Roberto was going to be the goalkeeper coach and he would have a direct line with the chairman who would be making the substitutions and it was at that point I went so basically you're changing my role and that's not what it says on my contract so I'll either be sat in the dugout on Saturday doing my role or you will sat me now. And they didn't really know what to do because they'd obviously had instructions from Bruschetti to, to make these calls. And I just went out and started training and they couldn't try and get me off the training ground quick enough. And I said, I've made it clear, I'm not going to work under those circumstances. I'm either here to do the job or you're going to sack me. And lo and behold, they sent me the email and I was sacked by that night. Very strange episode in the, the history of Lake Norris, really, yeah. wasn't it? Just, just summing it up finally, what, what did you, someone like Bichetti comes in, what do you think 
was his aim? What do you think he would achieve for Leighton uh, Orient? It's really I, I didn't do the first years under him, and I think I think owners come in and they think it's easy to run a football club, and I think it's unlike any other business. Um, nowhere else do you get two companies go head to head with a, a neutral referee that's going to decide which one. You know, sometimes their decisions decipher what happens to one company and what happens to another. You know, you don't get NatWest against TSB on a Saturday and someone turn up and decide the result. It's unlike any other business. Um, and I don't think he understood it. I don't, I don't think he understood the English culture of it. You know, his, his way of doing it was to take time off of people. That's what he always said. If you lose a game, I'll take time off you. Um, which culminated in the hotel saga. Um, you, you was there then, weren't you? The yeah, hotel? yeah, absolutely. We were coming back on the bus from Hartlepool. We yeah. lost the game and he just went, right, I'll take time off you. Straight to the hotel, you don't see your families for a week. And how, how was that like being in the hotel? Uh, listen, they, they couldn't control it. Oh. They couldn't control it. You, you had players there. We had one, uh, Vito was there and he was supposed to, like once, once everyone went to bed, Jay Simpson went home. <laughs> he lived around the corner. He used to come back for breakfast in his slippers. As though he hadn't been anywhere. So it was just but people look at it and go, This is farcical. You know, the situation's farcical. And you're yeah. wasting but look at it again, you're wasting a week's money at a hotel that give it somewhere else. Yeah. You know, put it give it to the youth team, get yeah. it you know, it, it was just misguided, really misguided. Very strange, very strange. Yeah. So what have you done since then basically? Well, I went to Southend and I left obviously Straight away, right. Well, I joined there in the summer. Um, although I was still technically under contract to Orient because obviously I had a severance going in there and I managed to get myself out of it by, how do I word this because I'm not sure I can use blackmail. <laughs> um, use it. Yeah, no, I made them pay up the contract and donate it to charity. All right. Because they were reluctant to let me go to Southend without paying it. And all I said was that I would like the donation of my salary to go to Great Ormond Street Hospital. Otherwise, I'll quite happily tell the rest of the story. And lo and behold, a week later, the cheque arrived for Great Ormond Street Hospital. So I, so I got something good out of it. Yeah, you did. Were, were the PFA any help when all this was going on? Uh, the PFA had come in once when we had the hotel thing. They'd already come in. So they were well aware of what was going on. But the lads been, were being paid. So there wasn't really a lot the PFA could do about it. They were coming and going, well, there's nothing illegal going on. There's nothing you're not getting. You're getting paid. So there's not a lot we can do about it. But obviously, once I've gone and it started unfolding and people then didn't get paid and, you know, it, it became a really difficult situation. Of course. Um, one person I have to mention in all this was Adrian Martin, who was incredible. Every time someone left their job or they were done wrong, he would stand up to them in the middle of the canteen and he would F and blind them about how they've ruined his club. How he, and he's an absolute hero of mine now because he didn't care. Yeah. He fought from inside, and I'm not sure they knew how to deal with him, to be honest. <laughs> but brilliant, so I have to give him a mention for that. I think between him and Lindsay, they basically amazing, kept the club going, didn't they? Know, so. Amazing some of the things they did, you know, along with supporters as well, because, yeah. wow, you know, incredible. It could have ended up a lot worse, couldn't it, yeah, really, absolutely. in the end? Even worse, we'll say. And you're doing a lot of stuff on your bike as well. What's all I that am, about? I, I only live about nine miles from Southend, so a year ago I decided I'm going to because I don't keep fit enough now, really. I do the goalkeeper stuff, but the time, so, so I decided to start riding in, and then um, I've seen there was a cycle 300, so 300 miles in September. 
which I should do pretty easily. Uh, I've worked it out. <laughs> I should get it in. Um, but I didn't want donations because I think there's something special for everyone to donate to. So I don't want to be someone who says, you, I'm going to do this and you must donate to this. So all I said is I'm going to do it. And if any of you want to make a donation, make it to something that's special to you because everyone has a particular thing that might have happened to them or they're affected by or you know or don't donate it's fine but if you know and i've had people on there going you know fantastic we've we've sent attendance to breast cancers it's fantastic we've done it to a chip so then i think the person doing that is is feeling that they're doing something for something for them as well that's nice well, good luck with that. I'm not sure if we're allowed to say too much good luck to South End. Uh, it's a pretty, pretty rough patch at the moment, isn't it? It is. It's been a really, really tough start. Um, League One's got tougher and tougher each year, with obviously the, the, the bigger the clubs now coming down into our league. I think Sunderland had a budget of something like 23 million last year. So those top two places are getting tough. Um, yeah, we've, we've had a really tough start. We've got to get it together. Um, but. We've, hopefully with this break at the weekend we get a bit of time to sort of galvanise ourselves and, and look forward to Fleetwood in a week and a half's time. Do, do people there feel the rivalry with Orient as keen as, uh, as the O's so, do? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it's the A127 derby, A12 derby. Uh, you know, I loved it. I loved that game. Um, I loved playing in it. You know, it, it, it felt like it meant something, a Friday night or, a, you know, so those rivalries are good. You know, I don't, uh, it, it's tough for me. I don't buy into the, because obviously I was at Orient and they're my club and I'm now working at South End, so it's hard for me to go, well, I hope Orient don't win. I don't feel like that at all. <laughs> um, and, and I, but I get, I get, you know, there's a lot of South End fans that probably came out of the East End because that's oh, course, naturally yeah. where they, yeah, they all yeah. win. Yeah. So between West Ham, Orient and South End, there's probably the mix of emotions yeah. between those ones. Well, we said we'd mentioned some Orient goalkeepers down the years. Um, boy, see, any, any particular favourites? Oh, mine was always John Jackson, no disrespect, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll add the other <laughs> I did say they weren't the best. <laughs> no, mine was always uh, John Jackson. Well, he's come out from those we have um, heard from as by far the, the most popular, actually. Um, and appropriately, do you know his 77th birthday today? So uh, a very happy birthday to John Stonewall Jackson, superkeeper, of course, from 73 to 79. One of the many Crystal Palace players signed by George Petty, who, of course, had been coach at Palace. Um, Jacko at one time played 210 consecutive games for us. He was great, of course, in that FA Cup run to the semi-final in um, 78. He'd been preceded by Ray Goddard, who was a favourite of, of mine. And, and oddly, of course, both of them ended up at Millwall. And Jacko was followed by Mervyn Day, um, so we, we had a pretty good run there, didn't we? Um, among the, the people we've heard from, um, Les Coombs and Steve Jenkins have both said John Jackson, the finest they've seen. Dave Barrett agrees and uh, recalls seeing the great man once throwing the ball out and conceding a corner and uh, possibly doing the same from a goal kick, a couple of other people remembered, possibly the game at Tottenham, which actually takes some doing. But uh, we loved him and we hope he's having a, a very happy birthday. Um, some other names, Peter from Hornchurch says, uh, Glyn Garner made some major contributions to promotion and, and the cup run, saved a penalty, of course, in the famous cup win at Fulham in 2006. 
And Peter says, I did like Eldin Jakopovic too. Would we have gone up to the championship if he hadn't been recalled by Hull? Yeah, well, absolutely. we'll never know. But yes, <laughs> strong suspicion. Um, Luke Weaver and Paul Heald have got to mention. And Dino suggests Peter Shilton, famously signed, of course, by Barry Hearn to reach a thousand games for us and get us a live TV game against Brighton where, when he reached that mark. Possibly a little past his best, aged, what was it, 47? But uh, he kept a clean sheet anyway in that game. So bless them all and, uh, and thanks for their service. A um, couple of newsy items to finish with. The much criticised EF, uh, EFL have announced tonight uh, that there'll be a review of their regulations after Berry's demise and um, an investigation into the whole financial sustainability of the clubs, um, not before time perhaps. Um, bit of walking football news. A very busy day yesterday for the O's. Our over-65 team made sure of winning their group in the Essex League. That was at Southend, funnily enough. Um, and two separate teams played the Orient staff at the training ground. Ross and Danny Webb and Joby McAnuff all took part, which was good. Joby's obviously um, on the road to recovery if he's OK for walking football. Uh, there was a 2-1 win for the staff, apparently, despite uh, Julian Lillington netting. So we may hear more of that goal from time to time. Uh, and then there was a 2-2 draw. So a very enjoyable day. And thanks in particular to Howard Gould for arranging that. And ladies now, women, if you'd like the sound of that, Leighton Orient Trust and Leighton Orient Walking Football are offering free women's walking football sessions. Um, it's a great social sport. It's a very good way to keep fit, to make friends at the same time. And if you're 40 years old or older and want to try playing walking football, come along to a free taster session. It's on Tuesday week, which is when we play crew. Uh, it'll be from six till seven, so just right to um, get into the crew game afterwards. And it's at the Score Centre, which, as I'm sure you know, is uh, bang opposite the West Stand. And uh, failing the, uh, following that, uh, there are going to be 10 free sessions on Thursday, Thursday lunchtime, one o'clock till two, uh, for 10 weeks. So that's well worthwhile. Just um, uh, bring some trainers, it's, it's indoors, and there's uh, tea and coffee and all sorts available. And one more diary date quickly. Um, later on uh, in October, Wednesday, October the 16th, an evening with the newcomers, all the O's, new signings, are due to be present for a Q&A. So uh, enjoy that. That's £15 and you get a free meal. So um, get onto the commercial department if you're interested in that. And that's about it. Thanks to Boise. Thanks to Lee Harrison. Uh, the Orient Hours on Phoenix FM every Thursday at 7pm or you can catch up on the podcast. Thanks for listening. Up the O's.